Have you ever found yourself in need of comfort? Maybe life has just thrown you a curveball of sorts and you're finding yourself, you're walking the unexpected and wondering, how did I end up here? Join me in today's episode as we continue this in-depth study on the book of Ruth. We're going to look at a time when Ruth and Naomi both found themselves in the unexpected and the choice that was presented to them. Let's get ready to dig. Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord, but I am also a woman who makes mistakes and doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus, and in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the She Chooses podcast. Today, we begin episode number two of our Ruth study. During our last study, we did a lot of background digging into the who, what, when, where, behind the scenes of this awesome book. This book is read annually by Jews during the Festival of Weeks, which is also known as Shavuot, which is also known as Pentecost. This feast, it celebrates harvest time. It's the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and the people, their acceptance of it. We today, we celebrate Pentecost the same. It's a type of harvest time, a a harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. It's the giving of the Holy Ghost and our acceptance of it. Last study, we mentioned high level. This book is about God's call, the call that goes out to all of us, his desire for all of us to come to him and our choice, that free will. Are we going to answer it or not? We see this call go out in this book and we see it play out in a few different ways in these four little chapters. Elimelech, he only desired to sojourn in Moab. This wasn't supposed to be a permanent place for his family. Now, we know if, if you're a Bible reader, you know that there were different times when we see different people sojourning. This is a different sojourn than what we saw when Abraham went to Egypt or Isaac went to the Philistines or to Philistine. They hadn't entered into the promised land yet. Elimelech, he was already there. So that's the big difference between these instances of sojourning. But as we see with Elimelech, he doesn't make it home to the promised land. And unfortunately, neither do his children, which is a sad, sad truth that sometimes we see play out where the decision of the parent, it impacts their family, whether it's in a good way or a bad way. Our choices, they come with a ripple effect. In those first five verses that we were looking at last episode, we met Naomi, we met Malin, and we met met Killian. Um, Those were just three names that we didn't talk about last, last episode. Naomi, her name means pleasantness or my delight. 
Malin, Elimelech's son, means man of sickness. Killian, his other son, means wasting away. We're calling this out because names are purposeful. It's important to us to understand what those names meant in the time that this book was written. Today, we're going to meet Orpa. Orpa, when we look at her name, it means back of neck. It, this is like an anticipation of the decision that she makes to go back to Moab rather than following Naomi. Ruth, her name means friend. And we see that she is a good, loyal, true friend throughout this message. In today's episode, we see God, his call is going out, and we're going to see Naomi's response to it. And right now, we're only five verses in, and we have found Naomi has already become a widow, and her sons have died childless. Naomi, she needs a comforter, and she has a decision to make. She's living in this enemy territory. She's living in Moab. We talked last time about what Moab really means and where the Moabites come from. And she's living in this space, and she's got this choice to make. Does she stay, or is she going to go home? Up to her and only her to determine what am I going to do? Where am I going to seek comfort? Which applies to us directly. A decision that only we can make whenever it comes to, am I going to follow the Lord? Am I not going to follow the Lord? Am I going to reach for comfort from my King Jesus? Or am I going to reach for comfort in this world? And so today in this episode, really what we're going to see play out is we're going to see an instance of repentance, what true repentance is. And we're also going to see this beautiful act of conversion that's going to happen in Ruth's life. And it's such an awesome message for us to, to glean from and see because it's a picture for us to follow exactly. The decision she makes is to go back to the place of God's blessing we too, ultimately, we want to make that decision. We want to go and we want to dwell in the place of God's blessing. She wants to go back to the promised land, Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's where she wants to return to, that place of provision. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to jump right in. We're going to read Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 through 18. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest in each each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go for I am too old to have a husband. Turn back my daughters. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. 
But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. This is a picture of repentance. Naomi outlines for us what this looks like. It seems as though immediately after the death of her two sons, she's thinking to return to Bethlehem. She's been asking about home. She's been wondering what's going on back there, the place of her promise. I imagine Elijah, when that great drought was occurring, telling the servant, you know, go look for evidence of rain. The seventh time he sees the cloud, a cloud the size of a man's hand. I imagine this is kind of what we're seeing play out with Naomi. She's curious. She's asking. And finally, she hears. I also, it draws my mind to the book of Hosea. Hosea is a beautiful book on God's love for his people. If you've never read the book of Hosea, you got to get in there and you got to understand Hosea is a prophet of God. God commands Hosea, you're going to go take a wife of whoredom. Hosea was commanded to go and to marry Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute. And it's this beautiful book about how Hosea is his, he's running after Gomer. He's, he's pursuing her and trying to get her to stay in this, this beautiful relationship with him and her temptation to continue running after these lovers. His long suffering love towards her. And here we find Hosea chapter two, verse seven, it says this, when she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but not find them. Then she will think I might as well return to my husband for I was better off with him than I am now. This right here, this is another example of what we're seeing happening in the life of Naomi. She and Elimelech, they had run after what they thought was a better plan than what they were living in their promised land. She was searching out a better life, but tragedy struck. And she realized, I might as well return to my first love, to my home, for I was better there than I am now. This is repentance. What is repentance? When you think about repentance, what does your mind think of Really what repentance is, it's, it's genuine sorrow that leads to a turning, a change. I recently asked someone to define repentance. Their response was this. They said, you know, it's telling God I'm sorry. No, guys. No, 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 no. This is a step toward repentance, but it's not actual repentance. That's not what it is. It's not just I'm sorry. Repentance is, yes, telling God you're sorry, but it goes beyond just I'm sorry. And it's an actual turning away from that behavior that you're apologizing for. I've told God I was sorry a bunch of times until I actually came to that point, drawing a line in the sand and saying, okay, Lord, please forgive me. I am sorry for what I have done. And now I will change this behavior and I need your help to do so. Psalms chapter 119 verse 59 tells us, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet unto thy testimonies. Our feet turn. When we repent, we find ourselves, we're traveling one way 
And that way is directly opposite of God. But when we actually repent, we turn from that behavior, like a 180 degree turn, and we turn to God's testimonies. We turn to face our Lord. I wonder if anyone listening today, have you ever found yourself in a place like Moab? that enemy territory, that place where you have wandered from God's plan, where you find yourself in need of repentance. If we're all honest, we would all agree that, you know what, we have all experienced a place where repentance is needed. With repentance, there's something beautiful that happens with repentance. There's always a connection between repentance and revival. Someone is convicted of a sin and there is a turning that happens and there is a revival, this like fire that's lit inside of them. And it's a result. It's this ripple effect that's set into motion based on that determination to repent. Naomi, she goes back, she repents. She's going back to the house of bread. Ruth goes with her. And what we see here is it's not just about Naomi. Just like our repentance and our desire to serve the Lord, it's not just about us. God has a bigger plan. It stretches beyond us. The prophet Joel, he explains repentance as this. And we find it in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He's calling God's people back to God. And he says, with all of your heart. And this is what these verses says. It says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. That is a beautiful picture of what real repentance is. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 11 talks about godly grief, that godly grief is what works true repentance, that rending of our heart that Joel was just talking about. Here we see what it does. It says this, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of God, of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. This is what Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. Godly grief. Godly grief is what works. True, genuine repentance, repentance like God desires. So what stops us from choosing true repentance? What causes us to resist these things? Perhaps it's the fact that this world has watered down what repentance is and boiled it down to just a, I'm sorry, God. Maybe that's what stop, stops us. Or maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's something that has to do with humility. Because repentance 
it absolutely requires humility. And if we're lacking that, we're not going to see our need to repent. We're going to justify our actions. We're actually going to defend ourselves in what we're doing. Another thing that stops us from choosing repentance is pride. Pride is, is a great, great, great enemy of the Lord, and we deal with that oftentimes. You know, I think about, I just watched my son the other day. Um, kids, they're not taught how to sin. They just know how to do it. And I was watching my son. He was walking through. I had asked him to put away a Lego, and he was walking through our kitchen. He had the Lego in his hand, and I saw him throw the Lego underneath our table and continue on. And I asked him to stop, turn around, and pick up the Lego. And he looked me straight in the face, and he said, I didn't throw the Lego. And I about lost my mind because I looked at him and I said, I just watched you throw the Lego underneath the table. Look, that's where the Lego is setting. And he looked at me again and he said, I didn't throw that there. And my mind was just blown. My husband and I have not taught our child to lie. And yet he stood there lying straight to my face. And even after I had watched him be disobedient, he refused to confess. Even when he knew that I had seen his poor choice, he refused to confess it. Right? And that is one of those, that's a pride thing. Pride is just like in us. We, kids, we just know how to sin. No one has to teach us how to sin. We just know how to sin. There we have it. There's like this, this natural thing that's part of us, right? That doesn't want us to repent. And so we've got to get to that place of humility where we are willing to acknowledge, hey, I'm not perfect. There are things that need working out. So back to what Paul was saying, he said this comment that really is, is so interesting to me. He says, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while, sometimes that's what stops us from getting past the I'm sorry, God, and into repentance. It's the fact that repentance hurts. It hurts for a little while to hear things, to acknowledge things that shouldn't be part of our lives. And we avoid those things, right? We don't like to feel pain. We are a people, we don't like to feel. Really, I see this magnified in the life of teenage girls. You know, often we find them, they're bouncing from relationship to relationship because they choose not to feel the pain of a breakup. Or... As adults, you know, we get bound, we can get bound by alcohol because we don't like to feel trials of life. And rather than feel, we want to distract ourselves. Rather than processing the pain and feeling the rain that falls on the just and the unjust, we might choose to indulge in a pint of ice cream, all in the name of numbing this pain so that we don't have to face it head on. And I'm not making light of any of these hard things of life. What I'm doing is speaking from a place of, I've been there, I've done that. And these are all coping mechanisms that are really unhealthy. And they drive us further from repentance because they teach us to dismiss this idea. The thing about it, however, is that they develop this callus over a part of our heart and they harden us. Where God in these moments is trying to uh, call us close 
and he wants to come close in this pain, these coping mechanisms, these unhealthy coping mechanisms, they drive us further away. You know, some spaces of life, they cause us pain so that we'll acknowledge our need for Jesus. But it's the painful places in life that often get us to the place of true and genuine, genuine repentance. God wants us to repent. It's usually the beginning of this long road of restoration, right? There's so much to do, but it's only the beginning because this life for Christ is a process. Sanctification is a process. It's not a moment where we become perfect because we're not going to experience perfection this side of heaven. Sanctification is a process. We are a process. Moab, back to our message. Moab, remember from our first message, Moab was about 50 to 60 miles from Bethlehem, which is about a seven to 10 day journey. Naomi, she was willing to walk that journey. Whenever we find our place in these, um, when we find ourselves in these moments where we are in need of a comforter and we know that we need to repent, we have to consider, are we willing to walk our way back to the Lord? Naomi shows us what happens when we get to that place where we're willing to turn ourselves and walk our way back to the Lord. Hosea chapter 14 verse 1 tells it, says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. You've stumbled. None of us are above stumbling. Again, none of us are perfect. So in those moments where we find that we have stumbled, Hosea is saying, Return to the Lord your God. And Naomi's doing that. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3 says, Return to me and I will return to you. We have to make that decision. Remember, God doesn't want robotic love. He wants genuine love. So we move first, and God moves. We move, God moves. Return to me, and I will return to you. That's God's promise. Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7 says, I will give them a heart to know. They shall return to me with their whole heart. You know, we make these decisions, kind of like Naomi and Elimelech made. And those things I mentioned to you, they can callous our heart and create a hardened place within us. However, Jeremiah says that God, he desires to give us a heart to know him. He wants us to return. There is a cure for our hardened spaces. And we will return to him with our whole heart. But guys, repentance, it's not a flesh response. It is not a flesh response at all. Our flesh is going to run and try to push us away from that so much. But the Lord, he beckons us back. So how do we repent? How do we truly, truly, truly repent? Guys, it's a determination. It's a, I'm taking my hands off this situation. I'm going to turn back, make this decision, Lord, because I want to do what is pleasing to you. My way is not working, Father. I want to do your plan, your way, what is pleasing to you. We mentioned revival. This directly parallels to our walk with Christ. We all have to take that time to count the cost. We see this in the parable of the rich young ruler, and we find the cost, it was too much for him to give. He couldn't give up his riches, and he walked away sorrowfully. We find the same is true with Orpah. Orpah didn't have that desire. She didn't love Naomi enough to push through the what ifs and the uncertainty of what her future might look like. 
which this is a picture of what we see play out around us sometimes, right? Sometimes we see people, they're presented a choice to live for Jesus and their love for other things is greater than their love for him, which really is a hard question that we have to be willing to turn inward. Do I love Jesus enough to follow him? Do I love him enough to follow him into the uncertainty? Do I love him enough that when I don't see him to trust that he's moving? Ruth, however, Ruth is, she is fierce and she is determined and she clung to Naomi. Naomi, she then, she tries to persuade her to consider the cost of following her again. Yet Ruth, she refuses. Ruth is immovable. She's got like this resolute stance that silences this voice of temptation. And here's what she says. She says these power statements that we have got to get deep in our soul and be willing to get to that place in Christ where we are willing to say the same thing. Whether thou goest, I will go. She was willing to follow Naomi to a place that she had never seen. Think about that. Remember, Ruth, she is a Moabite. The Moabites would have talked bad about the Israelites in the past, yet Ruth is determined to go. Then she says, where thou lodgest, I will lodge. She doesn't care what her dwelling place, what her home is going to look like. She says, thy people shall be my people. Guys, our character, it matters. It matters so crazy much. Ruth had to have been persuaded that because Naomi's character was so strong and so loving and so wonderful, all other Israelites must have been the same. She used Naomi to judge them all to that standard. Ruth, she wants to be just like the Israelite people. The same is true of us, guys. Our character should be such that it draws others to Christ. We should pour out so much love, kindness, consideration on others that they want what we have. They want to follow the God that we serve, willing to let go of things of this world to have what we have. She says, thy God shall be my God. She says, where thou diest, I will die. And she says, there will I be buried. She has zero desire to go back to Moab. Zero desire to go back to this world. She just wants to pursue ahead, to push ahead to the glorious God that she has been introduced to through Naomi. What we see play out here with Ruth, it is a pattern for all true converts. Take up your cross and carry it. Count the cost because there is a cost. There is a cost. And anybody that tells you that there is not, we've got to circle back and we've got to wonder, are they a true convert? Because there is that cross. It is heavy, but it is worth it. And here in this summing up this this lesson on what we've just read through today, we see a couple of different things. We see Naomi. She is living Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7. It says, all day, every day, I can return to the Lord. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God. They shall return to me with their whole heart. Naomi is a prodigal returned home. She has come to herself and remembered 
it was better when I dwelt in the house of the Lord. And she is responding to Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7. We see both of these women, these beautiful women, we see them living out Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. There was repentance that took place in both of their lives. There was conversion that was happening. There were sins that were being blotted out. God desires our relationship with him to be rooted and resolute. Naomi wanted Ruth to understand the decision she was making, just like Jesus wants us to understand the decision that we are making. His desire is for us to be a true follower. And this beautiful book shows us what it means to become a true follower of Jesus Christ. All right, friends, as we get ready to walk away from this episode, let's go ahead and think about things that we can carry with us. So here's just some questions to maybe help you in your consideration of this message. The first question is, have you ever found yourself in a place like Moab? This enemy territory, this living in the world outside of God's promise and his covenant in a place where you're in need of repentance. If you have, think about that. Second question is, what is stopping you from choosing repentance? What's causing you to resist it? Be honest with yourself. Make a list. What is it standing in your way of this true repentance like the Bible describes? Is it your friend group? Is it an addiction? Is it a temptation? Be honest. God, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He sees our genuine sorry. He sees the fact that we may actually like the environment we're finding ourselves constantly falling to sin in. If we can get to that place where we're acknowledging truth of our circumstance and talking to him about it, he will show us the way out. God really is on our side when it comes to wanting us to get to that place of true repentance. When we sit and we count the cost of following Christ, Another question to consider is, are we more like Orpah, like the rich young ruler who walked away sorrowfully, or are we like Ruth in our desire and determination? There is a cost to follow Christ. Our path is not going to be expected, but it will be worth it. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. If you found this episode helpful, share it. And please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, you can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. Check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.